From 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. It can be found on page 985 in the Pew Bible. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts sanctify Christ does Lord always be ready to make your defense to anybody who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. I want to tell you a story. Fair warning, it's a weird story. And all cards on the table, I made it up. But bear with me. There's a man, we'll call him Bill. And Bill was not the kind of guy that you would want to spend a lot of time with. He was a a fairly despicable guy. Uh, He was a cheater, is what he was. He, He cheated on his taxes. He cheated on his girlfriends. He cheated, he cheated at Monopoly. Can you believe that? He just cheated. He was, he was a despicable kind of guy. If there was a mistake to be made, Bill would make it. Well, one day, Bill's past caught up with him. And Bill was actually caught. And some of the things he had done were really quite serious. So he was placed on trial for these many mistakes he'd made. Uh, the evidence against Bill was absolutely overwhelming. In fact, in time, even Bill admitted that yes, yes, he was guilty. Well, time for sentencing came and the judge came into the courtroom and looked at Bill and, and said, man, I deserve, you deserve for me to throw you away forever, to put you in prison and to never let you out. But I'm willing to be lenient on you if you will marry my daughter, Sarah. I told you it's a weird story, but stay with me for just one second, okay? Now let's say Bill agrees. Bill says, okay. Which, odd as it may sound, isn't actually fair to Bill, let alone Sarah, to be forced into a deep relationship only to avoid punishment. But think for a moment about how Sarah would feel. You don't even know Sarah, but here's the thing about the judge's daughter, Sarah. She's an amazing young lady. She's filled with love and kindness and, and goodness. And, and the interesting thing about Sarah is that she's grown up in the same town as Bill. And despite all of his mistakes and all of his malfeasance, Sarah has loved him her whole life. She, she wants to be in relationship with Bill. But is this the kind of healthy relationship she would want? I hope there aren't any women in this room saying, actually, that's exactly how my husband and I met. Her love for Bill is pure. But does he love her? 
I mean, he could grow to love her over time, but likely Bill would just feel that being with Sarah was an obligation to help him avoid punishment. You see, the moral of this silly little story is simple. We can't scare people into healthy relationships. We can't scare people into healthy relationships with us. And we can't scare people into healthy, loving relationship with God. Welcome back to our Good News series. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. And last week, we kicked off this series by asking the question, why? Why would we, as pretty normal people... Do something that feels weird like sharing our faith. And we talked about three important reasons why. One reason is because Jesus Christ commands us to share our faith. In the Great Commission, the final commandment, Jesus says, go make disciples. That's one reason. A second reason is that we, we share our faith, that we, we strive to make disciples, is because ultimately Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. He's the only hope we have to live truly in, in freedom, to live abundant and eternal lives And we actually talked last week about there being a third reason, that if you study the book of Acts, the gospel according to the Holy Spirit, some call it, what you come to understand is that every single time that the Holy Spirit is unleashed in the book of Acts, disciples are made. And what that tells us, what's caught and taught the lesson there, is that if we want the power of the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in our lives, that we need to be about the business of doing the primary mission of God, which is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Would we do this thing that's culturally kind of weird? We do it because Jesus commands us. We do it because it is the hope for the world. And we do it because it unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why. But today, we shift our focus. Today, instead of talking about why we share our faith, we're going to talk about how we share our faith. This becomes a tactical conversation today. Or more specifically, instead of talking about how we're going to share our faith, we're going to talk about how not to share our faith. How do we do no harm in the process of faith sharing? See, in the 1970s, things started to change a little bit across the landscape of the church, particularly in the way that people shared their faith. What you saw starting to happen in the 1970s was that there were these mass-produced little paper tracts that began to be printed And many of them had a particularly negative valence in the way that they shared the gospel. They said things like, turn or burn. Get right or get left. I found this one this week. The burning hell. Thousands of degrees hot and not a drop of water. And sometimes we wonder why church attendance is in decline, right? This is... This is the way that many Christians started to evangelize. Now, if you think that I'm here to take shots at people who were bold enough to share their faith, that is not my intent. It really is not. I'm grateful that people were willing to share their faith. But I think most of us can agree, sitting in this room today, that trying to scare people into intimate relationship, healthy relationship with God, is perhaps not the path that is most responsible. I want to share an example from my own life about this. When I first began to take my faith seriously, I was in middle school. I uh, 
I read my Bible a lot. I read my Bible every day. In fact, I made, I took these uh, three and a half by five note cards and I made them into flashcards. And I would copy scripture passages that I found meaningful on one side and I'd put the reference on the other side. And at before school and at lunch and stuff like that, I would flip through my flashcards to help me memorize more scripture. What I'm trying to say is if I had been at Ebenezer when I was in junior high, I would have been Michelle Paquette's favorite student. One of the things I realized later on in my life and had to confess was that part of that was some self-righteousness inside of me. Um, Not all of it. I really did want to make a difference in the world for Jesus. I wanted to live for Jesus. But we all start out slow and we all make mistakes along the way. Well, I really did want to make a difference in the world for Jesus. And so when I was 15 years old, we were living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time, which, by the way, I remember being the hottest place on the planet. I've been to Iraq four times But in my mind, nothing's as hot as Columbia, South Carolina. I don't know why. So I was there, and one day, as a freshman in high school, I decided that I wanted to go with my friend Roy, who was a couple years older than me. I wanted to go to the Five Points area of Columbia, which is where all the the bars and fancy restaurants were located. And that uh, I felt like what I needed to do was go down to that area of Five Points and do some street evangelism. I just want you to imagine what the conversation with my parents was like before this happened, right? Walking, hey, mom, dad, um, Roy and I thought we'd head over to the bars and tell some people about Jesus. Can you imagine your 15-year-old walked into your room and said that to you? You'd be like, no. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea. You, uh, First of all, I'm not sure I believe you that that's what you want to do there, right? But I, that really was what I wanted to do. So amazingly, my parents said, all right, be careful. <laughs> what? So off Roy and Rob went to Five Points in Columbia. And I'm walking around down there in Five Points, armed with my little tracts. And uh, being pretty unsuccessful in my endeavor to try and reach people for Jesus, when out of the corner of my eye, I saw him. It was Mr. McLeod, my geography teacher. Now, Mr. McLeod was a really good guy and a really great teacher. Uh, physically, he would remind you of my predecessor here at Ebenezer Church, Mark Miller. He was lean and kind of fit-looking and blonde hair, beach boy kind of looking guy, right? And, and Mr. McLeod was a great, he was a great teacher. He's the one that taught me that uh, the capital of the East African country of Malawi is Lilongwe because it's a Lilongwe to Malawi, right? Yeah. He's the one that taught, here, you can laugh at that if you want to, but here we are 20 plus years later. Anybody else know the capital of Malawi at Ebenezer Church? He was a great teacher. Mr. McLeod was the one that taught me that, not Mark Miller. It would be weird if Mark Miller was the one who taught me what the capital of Malawi is. So, I saw Mr. McLeod sitting at this table. And he's sitting there like this. His face is covered, his hands covered in his face. And I'm confident the reason he was sitting like this was because he saw one of his students trying to do street evangelism and he really didn't want to get into all of that, right? So, But I saw him and I didn't see him with any degree of grace. I saw him and I turned around and I said, Mr. McLeod, fifth period geography. <laughs> and so I walked up to Mr. McLeod. I set one of my tracks down on this table and I said, Mr. McLeod, I don't want you to go to hell. You might be able to infer what the rest of that conversation went like. 
See, I never asked Mr. McLeod if he was a believer in Christ. I never asked him if he would be willing to have a conversation with me. This series has been about sharing our faith regularly and responsibly. I was willing to share my my faith regularly, but I wasn't willing to share it responsibly. See, doing what I was doing in the place that I was doing it was not likely to be effective. And even if it had been effective, I was initiating people into relationship with God based on fear. In our scripture reading from 1 Peter today, we hear this instruction. Peter says, In your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. What's he saying? He's saying that if Jesus Christ truly is our Lord, we are going to be people who are willing to share our faith, to give an account for the hope that lives in us. Look at what comes in verse 16. He says, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Do it with gentleness and reverence. One of the mistakes of my youth was that I tried to share the faith, but I didn't do it with gentleness and I didn't do it with reverence. And if you see that word reverence and you think it's only referring to God, I think that not only is is Peter telling us that we need to be reverent to the faith as we share the faith, I think he's also saying we need to be reverent to the other people with whom we are striving to be in community. Share your faith, but do it with goodness, with gentleness, with reverence. And you know, there's actually a wonderful example of this in Acts chapter 17. So if you've brought your Bible with you, would you grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 17? If not, somewhere around you, there's one of these red pew Bibles. You're welcome to look up Acts chapter 17. We're going to be reading starting in verse 22. This passage is uh, telling the tale of one of Paul's missionary journeys. And I just, uh, this seems like as good a day as any to let you know that in, in May of next year, I'm planning to take anybody who would like to go. You know, we just got back with 120 people from Israel uh, about a month and a half ago. It was a great trip. In in May of next year, we're planning to do a Footsteps of Paul trip uh, for anybody who would like to come. And just because I already mentioned him in the sermon, I'll, I'll be helping to lead the trip. But the, the person who's going to be the, the kind of the resident theologian in residence, the teacher in residence on the trip with us is going to be Reverend Mark Miller. So I hope that if you're interested in being part of that, you'll come to the information session, which is after this service on March 29th. So Paul's on one of his missionary journeys, and uh, it's, it's, his stories of what happens on his missionary journeys are amazing, but this is, this is one of those great stories. He, he tells it, it's told in Acts 17, beginning in verse 22. Paul says, or the Bible says, that Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way, for as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and allotted the times of their existence." And the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. Did you see what Paul did there? What Paul did in Acts chapter 17 is he doesn't begin sharing the gospel with condemnation. 
In Acts chapter 17, what Paul does is he begins sharing the gospel with connection. He walked all the way around Athens, which was the center of worship in the the Greco-Roman world. They had statues to every god in the pantheon, but they were afraid they would miss one. So they established this, this statue, this altar to an unknown god. And Paul, rather than condemning them or criticizing them, Paul forms a connection with them. He says, let me tell you about this unknown God. It was gentle. It was reverent. Let me show you one other thing. Would you look with me beginning in verse 30, please? While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, Paul Paul was not afraid. Paul was not afraid. He wasn't going to overlook the fact that judgment is a reality. It's a very important point. He doesn't reject the fact that God is judge. He just... He doesn't center his testimony on it. You know what the main point of this sermon is? In one sentence, it's this. We don't have to make people afraid to share the gospel because they're already afraid. We don't have to make people afraid in order to share the gospel. They're already afraid. Fear is actually an important part of sharing our faith, but it's not our job to infuse fear. Rather, our job is to help people see the ways that Jesus Christ conquers and cancels their fears. People fear living without love. But here's what we know. We know that there is a God in heaven who came to earth loving us sacrificially and completely. And the only thing we can do is accept that love. There's nothing else we can do about it. There are people in this world who fear being alone They fear being ostracized. They fear not having a place to belong, but Christ gave us a family. It's called His church. People oftentimes worry about living a life that doesn't really matter. What you and I know in our souls is that God has called all human beings to help transform this world. And sometimes, yes, people fear judgment. And Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the one who cancels our debt. We don't have to make people afraid. They already are. We get to introduce them to the one who can conquer their fears. Staying with that concept of fear for just a moment, the Reverend Dr. David McAllister Wilson, president of Wesley Theological Seminary up in Washington, D.C., was our guest here in 2019. We had a leader lifter. He was the, the, the guest speaker for it. And... During the question and answer time, Dr. McAllister Wilson was asked the question, what do we do about young people who have kind of walked away from the faith for a while? Uh, And Dr. McAllister Wilson's uh, response I thought was wonderful. He said, one of the things you have to understand, and he said, I see this in my seminary work, one of the things you have to understand is that young people today generally don't fear the same things that most of us who grew up in church fear. Many of us who grew up in church fear that hot place with the guy dressed in red, He said, but if you really pay attention to what our younger people are telling us today, what they fear more than anything else is nothingness. If if you ever saw the movie The Silence of the Lambs, 
If you're a young person, I'm not recommending it. It would scare you to death. Think about the look in Hannibal Lecter's eyes. That look that there is nothing there. That's fear. It's interesting that oftentimes when Jesus described the place of judgment, he described it in terms of this nothingness, of this set-apart way. People fear being alone and not belonging. Fear is not the chief motivator, but it is a reality already in many people's lives. And knowing that they fear nothingness, lack of purpose, exclusion, can help us share the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways not that enhance, but that conquer their fears. So for a long time, well-intentioned Christians have shared the gospel of condemnation and fear. We've claimed moral high ground that we oftentimes have no right to. And we know now we can't scare people into healthy relationships. I say this both for our edification so that we don't make these kinds of mistakes as we go forth to share the gospel, but I also say to prepare us for what we might encounter when we get out there into those conversations with people in our spheres of influence. When we share our faith, sometimes it's going to feel to us like the stack, stack has been deck, the deck has been stacked against us. Almost every time that I speak to a new member here at Ebenezer Church at length, they will tell me the story about how somewhere else at another church in another Christian community, they were deeply hurt by someone. If we are going to be willing to share the faith as Jesus commands us to, we have to know that there are going to be some times that we're going to have to apologize for things that weren't our fault. Donald Miller gives a great example of this in one of his books. He tells a story of being at Reed College in the North Pacific Northwest. And this is one of the colleges in the United States that's far more skeptical um, when it comes to Christianity. He set up a confession booth in the quad at Reed College. As you might imagine, some of these students already skeptical of Christianity decided to enter the booth and they were ready to debate, they were ready to deride, and they were ready to criticize. They were taken back when rather than asking them from the, for their confession... Donald Miller, from the other side of the booth, started to confess the sins of the church. The Apostle Peter says that we should share the faith with gentleness and with reverence. There's been damage done by people, people who wanted to do good but used the tactics of fear. We don't have to inspire fear. People are already afraid. Our task is to gently and with reverence be ready so that when those people with whom we are in relationship, when they're willing to let down their walls and tell us about their fears, in that moment we can say to them with complete authenticity, I know the one who can help conquer your fear. Let me tell you my story. And that is where we will pick up next Sunday. But for now, as we close, I just want to acknowledge the truth that there are probably some people in this room who are living with a fair amount of fear. Maybe some folks who uh, are lamenting their past, who made a mistake and think this can never be forgiven. Perhaps there are some people in this room who are afraid of the future, who are afraid of 
judgment, of punishment, of nothingness. I wanted to remind you of something that the Bible says. It's in 1 John chapter 4. The Bible tells us there is no fear in love. You know why? Because it says perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. As we take Jesus Christ into our relationships, our job isn't to scare people. It's to help cast out fear. And if you're here today and you're afraid, you need to know this is the kind of love God has for you. Perfect love. Love that sets us free from our past and prepares us for our future. Perfect love. And that God's been conspiring your whole life to help you experience that love. So I wonder if perhaps today is the day that you will allow God's perfect love to cast out your fear. And if the Holy Spirit is working on you today, I'd like to invite you to join me in a time of prayer. Holy God, it feels in my life as if oftentimes even when I want to do what's right, I mess it up. There are still times I don't want to do what's right. I sure have made some terrible mistakes and many of the people in this room feel exactly the same way. And my guess is if if we don't feel that way, if we don't feel like we've made terrible mistakes in our past, that perhaps one of the sins we are guilty of is self-righteousness. But what unites us, every single one of us, is that we have all sinned. All of us have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory that you dreamed for us. Forgive us, O God. Those sins have given birth to fears. We fear our past. We fear our present. We fear our future. But your perfect love casts that fear out. And so, Lord, if there are some people here who don't know you as their Savior, who have never accepted you as Savior in their life, God, I pray that today is the day that they would pray and ask you very simply to forgive their sins. If there are other people in this room today who have perhaps for a long time known you as Savior, but have never made you the true Lord of their lives, perhaps this is the day. Because one of the things we prove is that if we try to be in charge, our lives will oftentimes be messed up. But when we hand them over to you, they become something beautiful. Something that builds the kingdom and changes the world. Thank you, God, for your perfect love. And help us to take forth the message of that love and hope. That perfect love that casts out fear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.